When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to Into the Valley of Phoenix Suns podcast, a part of the Brightside Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, into the Valley. I am Ethan Shutt, joined by Philip Russell. We are missing Ryan Shutt, who is off volunteering for a cause, or whatever nonsense that is. But uh, we wish him all the best in his endeavors, but we're happy to be here. And we are happy to have you join us. Like the intro said, we are into the Valley, a part of the Brightside Podcast Network, which will exist for approximately two more weeks. Uh, and then I'll have to change the intro audio. So I'm not really looking forward to that. Philip, how are you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. I haven't had a chance to pod for a couple of weeks, so hopefully we can shake off the rest early and then get into it because it's an exciting time in the NBA. And the Suns are playing good basketball. The Suns are the Suns are playing good basketball and have won some games. Uh, did want to address a quick little update just from the end of our last episode when we had Dave on talking about the future of the podcast. Still working out some kinks. Um, one thing we know for sure, the YouTube channel is not going anywhere, which means our Saturday morning shows aren't going anywhere. So if you have been enjoying those, joining live, adding into the comments, feel free to keep showing up. We love having you. In terms of the audio platform, more than likely, and by that I mean definitely, our audio podcast, whether that's Spotify, Apple, who knows what, it will be going to a new home. We're still figuring out where that home will be, but just if you don't mind, Feel free to follow us on Twitter at the Valley PHX. Once we find that out, you'll be the first to know. But that said, we're here and we get to talk about some good, exciting Suns basketball. And typically, we start with kind of covering what you've missed since the last episode. Now, the last episode has been a couple weeks for a few reasons. Number one, travel schedules. Uh, number two, I had to travel to Florida to tell my parents that I am going to be a father. And we've always joked about breaking the news on the podcast. And we know that no one within our actual social circle listens to this show. We only get listeners from Suns fans around the world, which we love very much. So that said, I we haven't told a lot of people. And I still don't think we've told really many, even after that announcement, that actually know who I am. So I hit, I hit Philip with that quick travel trip. Threw off the calendar a little bit, but we are back. Like Philip said, he's back. He had a sick kid and a sick self when we had Dave on the pod. So things are things are getting back to normal. 
and it appears that that could be happening on the court as well. The Phoenix Suns, over the last two weeks, have a winning record. Now, that used to not be so impressive, but as of the last month and a half, that's really great. Since our last recording, the Suns have beat the Pacers, the Grizzlies, the Hornets. They dropped one to the Mavs close, lost by four there. Then they beat the Spurs in a funky overtime game, beat the Raptors, uh, which was a fun kind of like, let's show the Raptors our talent. They can show us their talent. We can figure out if we want to trade later. And then Wednesday night, the Suns got mollywopped by the Hawks in a game that Phillip watched this morning. So I do feel bad for him about that one. And then last night's win against the Celtics, 106-94. I was stunned by that result, to be quite honest with you. I sat down to watch it. I was excited. It was an early tip. And I said, you know what? If they disappoint me, I still have some, some time left this evening to have an enjoyable Friday. But the Suns took care of business. So lots of games. We're not even going to pretend to cover all of that. But Philip, as a man who has recently watched a lot of those games to, to get caught up, what are some things that stood out to you? And if you want to start with Mikhail Bridges, feel free, but I know we'll get there eventually. I don't. I want to start with the player on the Indiana Pacers. I love TJ McConnell so much. He, I there, love I how do, There plays. was no way on earth I could have guessed that that was where uh, you were going to start. Yeah. So thank you very much. So we haven't had a podcast since that game. He is such a high IQ player. He moves the ball extremely well. He can pick and choose his spots to score. Uh, as a little teaser for listeners, TJ McConnell is uh, going to come back up leading the podcast. But what really stood out to me the last the last several games, and maybe the Hawks game being the exception, what a great week from the Suns bench, especially last night against the Celtics. I thought the bench unit was phenomenal. Defensively, gave good effort, and then... I I just pulled up the game, the Celtics game this morning, and I like the Celtics play-by-play guy. I like his accent a lot. So I watched I watched their stream, and they said in the first run with the bench unit in the second quarter, they were basically like, surely the Celtics can just outscore this unit. And you would think they would be able to, but the bench unit was on fire yesterday. And I think there are a couple reasons for that that we'll get to later on in the episode, but really proud of the bench, uh, again, especially against the Celtics. And speaking of the bench, one thing that I left off and should have covered was there actually was a change to the Suns roster in a way, one that is not the most noteworthy thing, but still worth mentioning. And that was Dwayne Washington Jr. Uh, being cut with Saban Lee coming on into that two-way spot off of his second 10-day contract. If you'd like to get super nerdy about the two-way contract and how it works and doesn't work, feel free to check the internet. But essentially, uh, it seemed like there was a big part of it was wanting to keep a roster spot open while also not continuing to use those appearances within the two-way. So Saban Lee, officially part of the Phoenix Suns. Dwayne Washington Jr., the one many called the next booker, the one many thought could replace Chris Paul, unfortunately not on the team anymore. Hang Crazy on. how that happens. Hang on. The many who you just referenced, I think those are the same people that are Ryan's haters. For I sure. That, that might have been, sure. been a same group. category. Yeah, Venn diagram, just two circles on top of each other. Yeah, but thinking about even production from unlikely 
people, I just want to circle back to last night and just kind of sit with that Celtics team for a minute. Ish was great. Ish, yep. Ish Wainwright, my guy. We're on the Stood same out. wavelength. His defense on Jason Tatum was great. You are never going to stop a guy like Jason Tatum for the entire game, but his defense and his quickness paired with his strength yep. to get in front of Tatum and then be able to have the strength to take hits to the chest while Tatum drove. He was outstanding. And that's actually, I think I'm going to be eating crow for quite a bit of this episode. And we'll get into that in highs, lows, just so he knows. I, I don't think ish will eventually have a particularly important role on this team come playoffs. He can't unless he can't play in the playoffs unless he's converted to uh, kind of an, a standard NBA contract. But man, if he can throw around some defense like that, and if his on-ball defense is improving to that level, might have to start thinking about the open roster spot mm-hmm. and if Ish is going to be the guy for that. Yeah, I honestly, I mean, we we talked about Ish, I think a good bit going into this season is he was kind of the summer darling like the the one everyone was kind of falling in love with the the work rate the hustle blah 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 and we we kind of tapped the brakes on ourselves in a sense of saying look now like we love a good story but we can't be reliant on this guy there's a lot of development that's needed yes he is built like a mac truck and that's awesome but you have to know what to do his three-point shooting has continued to improve he is still nowhere near what you would want, I would say, from a shooter, especially come to the playoffs. But what you're missing in Jay Crowder is a lot of that physicality and that ability to kind of just be a rock and not get pushed around. And if you can pair that with an even quicker set of feet, I mean, that's a that's a good look. Like that's a really good look. And it reminds me, I had, I had this popped up when they were talking. <clears throat> excuse me, last night about how he played tight end at Baylor or whatever. George Fant, a local hoops hero here in Bowling Green, Kentucky, played basketball at Western Kentucky. Well, he played at Warren Central, was a stud, played at Western Kentucky, was a stud. He is now an on and off starter on the offensive line for the New York Jets because the dude was built like a mountain, had crazy upper body strength, but could move his feet incredibly well. Ish is very similar in that I can do one of these things. You know, George actually moved to tight end before going football full time. Ish can move his feet on the perimeter very, very well. But to your point, when you need an extra big body, when you're going against a combo of Brown and Tatum, there's value there. Mm -hmm. Your question, though, I think is really fair of. Do we get to a point where we need him to be converted to play in the playoffs, or do we do something in the next four or five days to where that's not needed? Right. And I don't, I don't know. And I, and I know that's a, a big conversation that that we'll have shortly. Um, this week as a whole, a lot of winning, a lot of guys slowly coming back. I think Cam Johnson's return has exceeded expectations. I think that's fair. I think a lot of people were pretty nervous about what he would look like he still looks like a guy who was out of basketball for two months in terms of the consistency of his shot is not going to be there every single night like a guy that's been playing an entire season I think they've been smart with his minutes I think they've been pretty intelligent about taking him out when it's not a must win situation 
I think Chris Paul coming back is starting to look himself. His three-point shooting being, I think, career best for this season or close to it at this point. Like He is trending up, which is great. As we talked about, okay, if, if these things decline, what has to increase? We said shooting was a big part of it. That's looked good. And Devin Booker hasn't been rushed back to the court early, which I think is prob- potentially the most important thing out of anything. Um, thinking back, it was I think it was Christmas Day, right? When he went back against the Nuggets, got hurt in the first three minutes, and that was returning from an injury. That's what people forget. It wasn't like he got hurt and he's been out. He was hurt, tried to come back, got hurt immediately, and has been out. So he has had a lot of time to rest. Um, the Celtics announcer, I think actually talking on NBA TV, said that he is playing in three-on-threes now, full contact stuff within practice. So it seems to be trending the right way. And he's going on away road trips again. Away road trips. What a lovely redundancy there. Um, so a lot of that stuff is going the right direction. I do want to get your opinion on Mikhail and what you saw from Mikhail these last last week and a half, two weeks. Because I think he has been the jump off the screen standout player. Uh, and there's probably a lot of directions you can go with that. But I just wanted to hear your take on Mikhail so far. Here's round two of me eating crow. I, I've been pretty hesitant to think too much or to think too highly about Mikhail's offensive game. I think his mechanics limit him and have limited him in a very real sense over the course of his career. And we actually have a fan table article coming out on Brightside where I admit some of this. And I don't think, so this is before last night's game. Over the last 10, he has been averaging 23 points on 48, 39, 93 splits for the, for that stretch. I don't think he can do that for an entire season, but what surprised me so much is his on-ball creation. His on-ball creation, especially in the pick and roll or pick and pop with guys like DA and then last night and the last couple of games, we've seen it with Ish as well. When that happens, especially when he's attacking a traditional big, if they if the defense makes the decision that they're going to drop the big on a McHale pick and roll with DA, he can get to his one of his favorite spots, maybe his favorite spot on the court, those little elbow jumpers that he's so good at. And regardless of what I think about his mechanics, if he's in a position where he's ball handling well enough to initiate that pick and roll and defenses are going to drop, then that should continue to be an effective play for the rest of the season. Now, teams should eventually try to make Mikhail handle the ball with a little bit more pressure on him and see if he can handle that. But for now, if he's playing traditional defenses, that should keep being a great set for the Suns. May I go on a weird soccer tangent for a second? Go for it. I'll keep it pretty short. So in soccer, I don't know if this is a phrase that like everyone has heard of, but there's a thing called half spaces. So if you think of a soccer field, and for my YouTube family, you can watch this. You've got your end lines here, and in the middle, you've kind of got this central lane from one goal to the other. In the basketball court, you can imagine kind of the the lanes of the free throw area going all the way down. So you've got your wide side. You've got where a lot of guys will sit in the corner. A lot of wide actions, back screens will come from the corners. And then you have obviously all all the congestion in the middle. 
There's a phrase in soccer called the half spaces. It is the two pretty narrow columns between the widest part of the field and the center of the field where everything happens. The width and the center are what you're taught as a defender to protect. You don't want someone to get wide and get around you. You don't want someone to get in the middle and either cut behind you, cut through you, wherever. And so some of the best, like messy level offensive creators can take advantage of the half spaces because it's where everyone is just a little bit behind. They don't want to overcommit because they're either leaving the width they're supposed to hold or they're leaving the central defense in front of the goal, the most important place you want to protect. Mikhail, as I am watching him, reminds me of a striker or a forward attacking the half space. He is choosing not to use the width, and he's not always attacking the goal. He is getting that one or two steps inside the paint, right toward the elbow, which we've talked about. And that is where people are scared to commit. Bigs don't want to overstep there. Guards don't want to collapse in. Wings don't want to always come and either provide help side defense or overcommit off of their spot. And so there's just these two little narrow lanes where Mikhail is just getting over and over and over. And I, I still agree with you, by the way. I think his shot is funky. I think when it's on, it's on. I'm, I'm curious to see what happens long term there. But his kind of high hitched release works kind of well there. When he doesn't have to create that much space, he just needs to get a little bit aloft. And so he's attacking those spots and it was just, I don't know, there's just a level of confidence. Like that was what stood out to me. It wasn't some ability that we had not seen before. Like people were talking about, look at him attack off the dribble. Like we've seen that. Like I know that's not the regular, but we've seen it. I don't, I don't think he showed us anything new other than the mentality of I'm going to go get mine when I know that that's what makes the most sense. And there have been plenty of games, I think, where Mikhail being that primary instigator here probably would make sense, but he didn't have it. I might say he didn't have it in him. He didn't show it. Mm -hmm. And whether that was because the team wasn't pushing that to happen or because he didn't want to take it away from a Booker, a Paul, or whatever, but that that's needed. And I mean, you've, you've played on sports teams. I've played on sports teams. I was never the guy on any team I was ever on. And there is a mentality of if you have an opportunity, I'll just go back to soccer in front of the goal versus passing to the guy, your tendency is going to be to pass to the guy. And I feel like Mikhail has probably had that in his mind for a while now. And this stretch without book, I'm hoping maybe unlocks that part of his brain to say, you know what, this is this is within my range. Me taking that 12 footer has the same likelihood of Chris Paul taking his five footer or whatever. And I think, again, like I, I think I tweeted it out. I can't remember if it was from my account or the podcast account, but Mikhail is trending towards a career high in points per game. In my opinion, that's very inflated because of the amount of players hurt, the injuries, the ball being in his hand more. And some people may not like that, but I think it's true. But what he has shown us is he can be a 15 to 18 point per game, maybe. And we don't need 20. I don't think we need 18. I, I think you get 15 from Mikhail night in and night out. That sounds great. And I know that people probably don't think that's a big, sexy number. But when you look about previous stretches where he's putting in a 7 or an 11 or a whatever, and you're like, if I could count on 15 every night from Mikhail with everything else he's doing, now you're adding Cam Johnson back confident and healthy. You're adding Chris Paul back with a three-point shot. 
You're getting a completely healthy Booker. DeAndre Ayton, still good with occasional question marks about consistency. Like, that's solid. So I, I think Mikhail had a phenomenal week and a half. I think it's going to do him a world of good mentally. And I think even just in listening to the postgame press conferences, the team has been encouraging it, which is the best part. It's not one guy getting hot. It's the team pushing him to take advantage of it. Yeah, and I think you can you can do something similar to what we did with Tori and Cam earlier this year, where the, when Cam Johnson was out, the Suns would run sets that wound up with the ball in Tory Craig's hands. And you can you could just imagine in your mind the offense was going to look that much better when it was Cam Johnson in instead of Tory Craig. So then when you bring that to Mikhail handling the ball, the offense and especially the lane should be that much more open when Devin Booker is somewhere on the court mm-hmm. as Mikhail and DA or Mikhail and Ish and Mikhail Jock, Mikhail Dario get into their action. It should just look that much better. And I think what we see with some of the best, not some of the best superstars in the game, and it's what makes it's what makes uh, Steph Curry so good is that superstars can create opportunities for others just by being on the court. So when Booker gets back, McHale then has an opportunity to potentially do even more just by nature of Booker being somewhere out there. Well, I had a quick question and then we can move on to highs, lows and, and all that good stuff. One of the questions we had to answer this week in our bright side piece was how do we rank Tory Craig mm-hmm. article hasn't come out yet I know how I ranked him what did you what did you say about Tory as a guy who I think could either be moved his role might diminish not really sure what he looks like fitting in hopefully he goes back to the role he had on the second unit but you never know where did you where did you rank Tory Craig this year in terms of kind of what was expected for him I went back to a classic Arizona sports moment. The first thing that popped into my mind when I saw that question was, "We are they are who we thought they were. Tori is exactly who we thought he was going to be. He's high energy. He's solid defensively. He knocks down threes at a good clip this year. And he rebounds exceptionally well at times. And it's in the piece I mentioned, I soured a little bit on Torrey Craig when he was having to fill that Cam Johnson role, but that's not fair. That's not the role that he's supposed to play on this team. He's supposed to be the energy guy off the bench who you look at when he's in the game and you're like, man, this is relentless. We go from a great offensive player and a sound defensive player in Cam Johnson to Torrey Craig, who we have to worry about every time a shot goes up, wherever he winds up being on the court. When you put too much on Torrey Craig, when there's too much on his plate, he's not it. He's just not that kind of player. But when, again, when he's the energy off the bench, that's when he's filling the role that I think the Suns need him to fill this year. Yeah. His, I mean, his playoff minutes will always stick out to me as, oh my goodness, that man jumped and grabbed a rebound mm-hmm. over insert giant. Like he was so good in that role. And yeah, I said, I gave him a B plus because I thought he's done everything we knew he would do. He's incredibly consistent on the energy, on the defense, on the everything. But he's having the best year of his life from three. And that has really helped. Because if, goodness, if he had his career average three-point season, 
while trying to fill the Camp Johnson role, I think the wheels would have fallen off a lot quicker than they did. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's go ahead and move on to our highs, lows, and just so you know, it's going to be uh, – we'll, we'll kind of go quicker on this one here. Uh, what was your high for the week, my guy? I've been so impressed with Dario Saric. He mm-hmm. has been great the last few games. I'm still convinced that come playoff time, the only the only role for him in the playoffs is small ball five. Mm-hmm. But he has done a really good job playing alongside Jock and DA. His his entry passing is so good. It's so good, especially not to kind of dump on the guy we just praised, but compared to a guy like Tori Craig, oh, yeah. Dario is phenomenal at keeping the ball moving and getting the ball inside when there's when one of the bigs has good position. I like that he gets the ball and runs in transition. I like that he'll take the ball up the court and just get kind of quick hitting offense for that second unit. He's still, he's limited offensively when he's going one-on-one at a guy, but I think he fits so well within the Sun systems. And here's the kicker, and this is classic Dario Saric on the Phoenix Suns. This is going to take everybody back two weeks ago, or two years ago. Of the Suns who have played in the last five games, he leads the team of people who have played in all five. He leads the team in net rating. He's a plus 10 and change in the last five games. Everybody else is in single digits, and there are a couple of people who are negative in the last five games. Dario's been it. He has been great off the bench, and I loved last night against the Celtics. I loved that Monty trusted Dario enough to start him with that kind of double big lineup that the Celtics run out with Williams and Horford, Williams and Cornette, whoever it was, Dario was playing really essential minutes last night and he's done very well. This I, is, this is the third edition of Philip each crow. On the I had, I had Dario and Mikhail as my two highs. I thought yeah. Mikhail was the obvious pick, but I thought Dario not to, not to sound jaded about what's going to happen, but like he, he's either making himself, be in a good spot for the Suns or in a great spot for someone else. Yeah. And that was how I felt about a handful of players these last two weeks. There's a lot of guys who decided to play really well right before their value is being measured. But Dario, Dario just looks himself. And I think that's what makes me happy too. Like confident shooting the ball, three-point shooting is there. You're right. He's never going to... I don't know. He's never going to one-on-one a guy offensively. Like he needs to get the ball down low in a good spot for him to triple pump fake and then probably draw a foul. <laughs> but his ability when getting the ball in the perimeter to make that entry pass mm-hmm. or know where the ball needs to go is a skill set that Tory does not excel at, uh, nor do the other bigs, to be quite honest with you. So it is, it's nice to see that be able to be inserted. And something that I've had to shift my thinking on with the Suns this year is – the Suns have needed guys to fill different roles than they will in the playoffs and excel in those different roles because there have been so many guys out with injury. Mm-hmm. So it's like, is Torrey Craig going to play the four in the playoffs? Boy, I hope not. But he's done a really good job and have helped the Suns kind of weather the storm of injuries, especially over the past two weeks. Yeah. I mean, I was talking to a buddy of mine last night. Uh, he was watching the game where he lives and I was watching. He's like, I don't remember the last time I watched a Suns game where they had a full starting five that I remembered. And I was like, yeah, like it's legitimately been, I don't even know at this point, 75% of the season, they've been missing at least a starter. Probably. Like, more it than is. That. 
I probably I couldn't remember quite how early Cam got hurt. But I mean, the fact that the Suns have a week like what they just had, and then they're sitting at two games above 500 in the playoff, like that's impressive. I also, <laughs> my other high is that the fact that we're done with the tank talk. That was probably my most frustrating uh, as a Suns fan this season was having to listen to that. That was ridiculously annoying. So I'm glad that that's gone. Uh, what about your lows for the week? It's the peaks and valleys of DA. He's he's so good at times, man. Like he's he's exceptional. I'll get there in a second. I think what what frustrates people so much is he doesn't lack physicality all the time. And I think if he was exclusively a finesse player, his inconsistency wouldn't be as frustrating. But because his peaks are so good, the moments where he's not asserting himself, he's not dunking the ball, are so frustrating. Take last night, an example of a peak. I thought DA played a really good game mm-hmm. last night. With two and a half minutes left in the third, he set a hard screen, rolled, and he dunked all over Grant Williams. All over. And one. There are moments as well where as he spins, he doesn't fade away, but he'll spin while putting his shoulder just right into the chest of his defender, and then his hook shot is so much easier. But again, then there are moments where he's fading on everything. He's trying to finesse a layup, a finger roll when he's wide open. So it's those peaks and valleys of his physicality that it's just like, dude, if you could stay consistent with physical play, he would be during certain games, especially a dominant, dominant force for the Suns. Yeah, it it was one thing that kind of popped out because he he was on my list in terms of the inconsistencies. Uh, my actual written down low was that the Suns had to get brought up with Kyrie Irving, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> I was like, if we could have avoided that, I would have been thrilled. Um, but no, I think it was a funny instance last night. Ryan Rosillo shared a video of DeAndre Ayton defensively, not physically, like not coming on the help side and protecting the rim, blah, 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 and use that as his like, and this is why people get upset. And our boy, uh, David, the four point play was like, that's bull crap. That was a cherry picked event in one of his mm-hmm. best defensive games. And I totally agree with David there. The sentiment of, of how Ryan came to that is one thing. But unfortunately, if, if you watch more Suns games, you will see that happen a lot. And that's where it get, that's where you're like, I mean, I hate the intent behind it. If you watch the whole game, you know, this is a great game. But yeah, DA just does some stuff. And I mean, even to your point, he had that massive dunk. And then I think it was early fourth. He caught a ball about three inches from the hoop and just tried to like drop, roll it in and missed. And like, I get more frustrated about that than almost anything as a five foot seven man of like, (laughs) you're already up there. Just put it in like the whole way through. Like, I don't get it. It just doesn't click how that's not programmed when you see some guys out in the league who are six foot four who are convinced that they can throw everything down. I mean, we watched Saban Lee slam one down with more ferocity at times. I'm just like, if you can get there, and I think this is where the frustration comes, there's, unless we want to go like the psychology route, I don't think there's much that a coach can do to improve technique, skill, ability to flip some magic switch. 
And so when it's there, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. And everyone in the league would trade for that. I mean, every team would trade for DeAndre Ayton at his peak. I think every team would trade for him at his almost consistent. But you mm-hmm. watch those lows, and then that's just enough to be like, the, I don't, I mean, is that what we get all the time? Is that going to happen in the playoffs? And it can, it, it can be frustrating. I, I agree with you for sure. The inconsistency there been rough but you know what i mean other players have been inconsistent too it's not just him uh a lot of players have been inconsistent this season whether that's with their health whether that's with chris paul forgetting how to shoot a basketball mikhail went through some crazy cold stretches da unfortunately has been through a rough stretch in the last three and a half weeks with i think six of his worst shooting percentages in his career happening within the last three weeks just astronomically weird numbers that you hope are just weird outliers but yeah, inconsistency. It will continue to be an issue. And I think if we are lucky enough to make the playoffs, we got to cross our fingers and toes that our guys kind of figure that part out. Uh, do you have anything interesting on the uh, the just so you know for this week? My just so you know kind of transitions into our next segment, and that's the Suns making trades. This deadline, it's going to be tricky. Let's go ahead and hop in there. We have... I have, and I'm guessing you've got some too. Mm-hmm. I've scoured the internet from what I would say are reliable sources, whether that's actual, basically actual journalists or people that do, quote, no hoops. And I have done my best to find anytime the Suns have been tied to a trade proposal, more in like a, not like a rumor mill, but a, these teams seem interested. How about this trade? So I wanted to to let you start and what for whatever you had prepped. Do you have anything that you kind of wanted to cover in terms of either players you're interested in, trades you think might happen? Because after that, I kind of just want to hit you with some trades and get your thoughts on them. I had one that I think might work well for both teams, and that is Jay Crowder for Sean Holmes straight up. I think it helps. The I've Kings. not seen that anywhere, and I love it because I love Rashawn Holmes. And I mom. think I think they're good enough for Jay to go there. Mm-hmm. He can fit within a high octane offense, running to corners, shooting threes. He helps them defensively, and the salaries match well. So that was one that I was thinking maybe that could work. But I also don't know, like with Jay's agency that he's been exerting all year long. He seems like he wants to be in the east just where he's even positioned himself it's been being con- in georgia east east and contenders seem yeah. to be the common thread for jay crowder it seems like a guy who's finally tired of losing two nba finals three nba finals whatever it is mm-hmm. at this point seems like the guy is ready to to actually win one of those but i don't know so my spicy one and then i have a couple from the internet that i'll work in when you give yours uh is this is where tj mcconnell comes back I don't know what's wrong with campaign, but Indiana's trash and maybe they'll take an injured player. Uh, campaign and Joshua Kogi to the Pacers for TJ McConnell. Share up the second unit, get a real, like a veritable point guard with the second unit, and then let's roll from there. That probably is more impactful for the end of the regular season than the playoffs, but the Suns are getting nothing from campaign right now. And I think against... Um, you said, you said Josh Akogi in campaign? Josh Akogi in campaign okay. for TJ McConnell. That's just salary matching. Uh, I think the Suns need a point guard. I think there are times when the offense will still stagnate and they need something 
else. And what they need is a point guard with that second unit when CP sits. I agree completely on the idea, not as much the, the who you've fallen in love with, but no, this is where I'm going. The playoffs last year, Tyus Jones was the guy that I watched in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh, that dude's a point guard. Like, Mm -hmm. yes, he is typically a bench guy who comes off the bench. He got moved into starter minutes and played phenomenally because get this, he's an actual point guard. And that is where I just looked at the Suns team last year. And I said, we don't have that after Chris Paul, every other person that comes in to quote play point guard is not a real point guard in whatever. Like if you're just kind of building your point guard, every one of our guys has something where you'd be like, Oh yeah, that wouldn't work. And so I definitely agree with you on that one. Let me, let me hit you with a couple of uh, a couple of the first ones that I found here. So this one actually came from um, a sports illustrated article. Here is a trade. We have the Miami heat receiving Jay Crowder, the Phoenix suns receiving Josh Richardson and Max Struess, And then the Spurs receiving Nikola Jovich, Duncan Robinson, and a first round pick from the sun's top five protected. So for the sun specifically, you're trading Jay Crowder, and a first-round pick, top five protected, for Josh Richardson and Max Struess. Initial thoughts. And if it's garbage, we just say move on and we go to the next one. I'm going to keep it a buck. I don't know a lot about Josh Richardson. Not playing well I, at all. But I do know Max Struess is a bucket. He is a bucket. I, that's what the Suns want. Shout out Dave King with the interview with James Jones. Wanting shooting. I don't love it because I think the shooting needs to be paired with size. I don't think another smaller guard is necessarily what the Sun should be looking for. So not terrible. I wouldn't be mad about it. And then at least, you know, Max Bruce is actually going to, you know, play basketball games. And that's an upgrade from Jay Carter. I have to see. Let's see how quickly I can use the internet here. Josh Richardson once signed a massive deal. And I don't remember how much it was for. Uh, but I remember he signed one once and I was like, that sounds like a lot of money. But I think Josh Richardson is a, they thought he would be more than he really was. And then he wasn't Uh big, long wing, but he is, he is having a, a not great year. And I think part of that trade was a, maybe a different place would help more than anything in this time. Um, I agree with you. Let's go ahead and go to one from the ringer, a very good website. Phoenix Suns get OG Ananobi. Toronto gets Jay Crowder, Dario Saric, and three unprotected firsts. Now, before you answer that, I want to share something that I picked up on as I kind of aggregated the internet here. Within the Raptors trades almost everywhere, what you're going to see in any trade, whether it's Siakam-based, Van Vliet-based, OG-based, is you're either going to see three first rounds or two firsts and a Cam Johnson. Almost every side I looked at, if those trades were happening, you would either see three firsts or two firsts and Cam. I'm going to go ahead and put my flag in the ground now that I will always be more okay with giving away three firsts than two firsts and Cam. For that reason, the ones that I took from the internet did not include Cam. And I'm aware that that's my opinion getting in here. But I'm picking Cam Johnson over a more than likely late 20s first round pick 
in terms of uh, picking order if the Suns remain relevant, which I think you would have to assume would work if they made any of these trades. Are you cool? You cool taking that mindset or you want James Jones to draft another Jalen Smith real quick for us? I I don't want to give up Cam. So I'm okay with the I'm okay with the picks. I don't I don't know, man. I guess I'm OG confuses me. Yeah, I don't know how much better he is than what the Suns already have. So is it that you're adding another guy at, in the general level of Mikhail, Cam Johnson, OG? That, like, are you just adding wing depth? That's that what I'm hearing. Then cool, but he's also 36% from three, 36%, 37% from three. And that's fine. It's solid. It's not jaw-dropping. Like, is that the shooting that James Jones wants. So again, I'm kind of like, sure. If that's the trade-off for Jay Crowder, I think I would be bummed to see Dario go. I don't know if that would be bad juju, like getting rid of Frank. Um, but yeah, I'd be okay with it. I just yeah. don't know. I just don't know what that does for the side. Like how much is I've, that moving the needle this year? I have not seen a player discussed at the level that OG has with such polarizing opinions. Typically, when we have one of this, this is the big trade piece that'll make a difference. Usually, most everyone at least can support that, and then they disagree with the evaluation. I'm seeing people that I respect within basketball have very different opinions, even on the first part, where some of them are like, yes, he is one of the best defenders in the league. That said, does he move the needle to the extent of a three first round type of trade? I don't think so. Kevin O'Connor and Verno had a hilarious fight about it on their podcast that ended with just random screaming and other odd things. And the two of them who see eye to eye on a lot and watch a crap ton of basketball, even they were like, one says, yes, he's absolutely worth that value. Another says, no way you're going to have to pay him. He offensively is not bringing something to the table that you usually look for in a, I'm giving away two or three first round picks. So I don't know. I I will say in almost every one of the trades involves Drake Crowder, I'm kind of operating as like a necessary evil mm-hmm. of Jay Crowder's being attached. He is giving you nothing and he's choosing to give you nothing. So you trading him is not a, well, we're giving up too much talent. No, 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 you're not. Like in this trade, I view that as Dario and three first for OG. And they just get Jay as like a thank you for letting us finally move on. That's where I'm at with this. I'm not here looking for equal value on both sides because I just think that's silly at this point. Um, But yeah, I'm with you. I think that's one of those trades. If the smart people seem to think it makes sense and James Jones is one of them, I say I hope offensively he can do more than what the numbers tell me. I tried to do some. I mean, he can attack the rim. He's very confident. He, He definitely played well within the system. but again. It's it's weird when the Raptors have so many good players, but they themselves are a bad team. So it's 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 funky for sure. Uh, I want to move on to one that I I found for you specifically here because I know you'll like this one. The Suns trade Jay Crowder, Josh Okogi, and a first unprotected for Kyle Kuzma. I. I have a hard time imagining the Wizards saying no. Wizards, Wizards say no. I think you have to throw something else. Yeah. In that. Like, and how many other teams can come in and trump that from right from basically anywhere else in in the league? If how that's, many, if how that's many firsts like going, would you throw in a trade for Kuzma? Maybe we can make that the question. 
One. Just one? Maybe two. See, I I I said one at first and I was like, maybe I throw in a second. Especially if you know he's going to sign and that you should be good right. for the next several years. Because the Suns, they're not an extreme they're not a young core like the Pistons are a young core, like the Magic are a young core, but they have a young core that can be good over oh, yeah, the they're next all, several years. I mean, years. they're all average age twenty four to twenty five. Yeah. I mean that's yeah. You got some life in you. And what? I thought the same thing. I was like, if Kuz is staying for a while mm-hmm. in a trade like that, I don't know, maybe you use the picks to get a piece like that. And then when you want to go star hunting, that's when you dangle out DeAndre Ayton. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think I think picks to a team like the Wizards is more valuable than picks to a good team. And the Wizards are stupid for thinking that a the core that they have of their big three is something that can be uh, – looked on with any hope in the future uh you have any ones that you want to throw out there before i kind of keep rattling through these sports illustrated had a deal that sends seth curry to the suns and some salary filler for jay what do you think about that i had that one on my list too i like that one and it goes back to my how do i view jay crowder and i view him as someone who is doing nothing <laughs> and if you're telling me hey Guys, I know you wanted all these big fish. You want all these big trades. We couldn't make it happen. Jay's gone next year anyway. We're bringing in Seth Curry. And I think this one is Seth Curry, Kessler Edwards, which legitimately sounded like a name that was created on the internet, and I couldn't validate it. And two second-round picks, which we know James Jones views as toilet paper. I don't know. I'd be fine with that. Like, if you can't make something big happen, or, again, I'm going to keep saying this, or if something big happens because you're putting in a big player, wink, wink, then I think this makes great sense. Like, I think this would be a great secondary trade to add value to something else that you're doing. But again, if you're looking at the playoff rotation, would you rather have Seth Curry in your playoff rotation than a handful of guys currently playing 15 minutes or more right now? 100% yes. Like, guaranteed yes. So I saw that one, and I know people probably would scroll right past it because it doesn't have any of the fun, exciting names. I liked that one. That was one of my favorite ones that I had picked out. And I think that would probably be good for a lot of Suns fans because that's probably a Landry Shamit replacement move. Right. And then it would People make would a lot of sense then to deal Landry even for expirings. Yeah. Uh, another Sports Illustrated one, just because just because I had it right next to it on my page. This one will get a reaction out of Suns fans. Don't you worry. Suns trade Jay Crowder and campaign to the Los Angeles Lakers. Oh, I saw this one. for Patrick Beverly, Wenyan Gabriel, and JTA. Thoughts? Say it again. You're getting rid of Jay Crowder, not playing, and campaign, not playing. For Patrick Beverly, we all hate him. Wenyan Gabriel, go Cats, and Juan Toscano Anderson. No. I don't think I can't, I can't stand Patrick Beverly. That's how I I felt the same. I felt the same way with any Grayson Allen deal that I saw. I immediately said, I'm not interested. No, thank you. I mean, after the shove to Chris Paul and, eight, and all that, I was like, there's just no way. No, no way that one works. I thought it was funny that they even included it. Um, got any more? Got any more for me? Because I'm, I'm still ready to roll here. Michael Pena on the ringer said that the Suns should go after Caruso. And I think that's... That's interesting. Uh, it's basically like campaign and Okogi. That's the salary range. 
they're looking for. If I'm pretty sure if the Suns were to send Jay Crowder to the Bulls, which would be exactly what Crowder does not want, uh, they the Bulls would have to include a little bit more uh, in return. But what do you think about the prospect of having Alex Caruso on this team? Are we just going to go about assuming that Gambo's the Suns don't want this person? We're just not worrying about that. Because there think were Caruso, too many of those tweets to scroll through. Was Caruso part of that? Caruso was a part of that. But that again, the Suns that the Suns don't want him or aren't pursuing a trade for him. I think it was aren't pursuing a trade for him. Okay. Let me let me double check. He he went on a, he went on a spree last night. He was let on me fire. Talk. He legitimately. Let's let's pull up. Also, props. This is this is gonna sound neat. Props to at Inside the Sun and all the other people that care enough to listen to Gambo's show so that they can tweet this, uh, especially when half of the Sun's Twitter is apparently blocked by Gambo. That makes it even funnier. Um, here are the Gambo bombs. Gambombs? I don't know. We'll figure it out. Uh, things from Gambo in the last 24 hours. Uh, the Bucks are not the only team that has been asked or who has asked and been granted to speak to Jay Crowder. Because I know that was that got steam and people talk about on ESPN. He's not the only team. Um, where where was the old Gambo? Uh, the Suns will not be making a deal for OG Ananobi. He said. He said the Suns will not be making a deal for John Collins. The Suns will not be making a deal for Alex Crusoe or Kobe White. And the Suns will not trade Jay Crowder to the Bucks for Abaka Hill, Nawara, and second round picks, which was a rumor. So those were the names that he threw out as a definitive not going to happen. And I'm going to be real. We love Suns Twitter as a, as a, in general. Love joking about the Gambos. If you look through his, his, his success rate, it is pretty high to the point where I feel like you got to have someone. That said, if we go about a world where it doesn't matter what he says, I think Caruso would be phenomenal with the Suns. I don't know exactly what would you'd have to give up. I know you said it would have to be a little bit more salary-wise, but like defensively, he's going to be great. Offensively, he's shown in big moments playing alongside stars that he can absolutely get his, which is quite impressive, and can confidently shoot. I think he would have made a lot of sense. I don't know what you'd have to give up, to be honest. Because didn't they like they actually like paid him right? Because the Lakers chose not to match for him when he left nine mil. Okay, I mean so that's about Crowder money, right? Crowder's at right around ten. He signed three for thirty. Yeah, okay. yeah, but it's it's a little bit more than ten right now. So the percentages to, get close if the Suns would need to include like a minimum deal along with Crusoe for Crowder straight it. up. It's it's like right on the line of that. No, I don't, I don't, I don't mind that one. Um, let's see, let's go ahead and hit one other that Gambo said no to since we're, uh, on that theme. One that I saw was Jay Crowder, Dario Saric, and a first for John Collins. So Crowder, Saric, and a first for John Collins. Sure. John Collins has been traded 82 different times Yep, over the last several seasons, hypothetically, that is, um, and yeah, a rim runner who can back up DA and even do a small ball five in the playoffs, I'm down. Yep. I Basically, it- I'm down with most trades that just get rid of Jay Crowder and bring in someone who's even marginally competent. Yeah. Uh, I want to do a quick quick shout out to Gerald with PHNX, by the way. He did a lot of work writing two thick, 
thick articles about potential trades that he thought might make sense and also financially worked out. So I want to give some love there as, as he was a helper in me kind of finding some of these. I want to break up our last conversation into three categories that I have. Number one, the Raptors. We touched on it with the Ringers, OG, and Anobi trade. The Suns have been linked in some way to Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, and OG and Anobi, with Gary Trent's name being sprinkled in. Trades that I have seen that work and have been shared by multiple sources, we have Fred and Gary Trent for Jay Crowder, DeAndre Ayton, and a first. And I'm just going to run through these and kind of find the common thread here. Pascal Siakam and Gary Trent for Jay Crowder, DeAndre Ayton, Cam Johnson. No, thank you. And two firsts. That's a hard pass for me. Pascal and Gary for Jay, Dario, DeAndre, and three firsts. Once again, it's either Cam and two or three. And then you've got one where it's more Pascal for Ayton with a couple fillers. What I am reading from these, and this is not just from one source. I saw them with a few is if you want Pascal Siakam, Aiton will be included. The Raptors have been tied to Aiton multiple times over the last couple of years. And then there was a story that came out saying that they got close to a sign and trade over the summer for Aiton when all the contract stuff was being figured out. What are your thoughts on Pascal Siakam? That's, I kind of want to get your gauge on the Raptors players here that are being linked. He's really good, man. And he, I, I think he's undervalued by Suns fans who are commenting about him. That's my, my opinion. His playmaking is so good. He created a lot down the stretch and Suns beat the Raptors. Raptors didn't make some of the shots, but he, he gets downhill. He puts so much pressure on opposing teams. I, at a macro level though, I am very nervous about the possibility of DeAndre Ayton no longer being on this team. I don't know how you watch Busy and think, yeah, that's a playoff center. And if you get rid of DA, some big has to come back. And not not Pascal. That's not that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a guy who can match up against Jokic. Someone who can go go up against an Anthony Davis. Gerald had a Gerald had a running theme in his last article that was full of massive like three team trades. Yeah, where uh, Jakob Pertl was the the name that got complete. He was like, I know all of these trades include him, but I think that was his logic. I was like, you've got to get someone who does some of those same things at a cheaper price tag and at a lower ceiling talent wise. But I thought that was a name that made plenty of sense too. It has to happen. Yeah. Here's my thing. If if the Suns trade DA and they don't get someone better to start at center than Bismack Biombo, I don't think the trade will be worth it. Even if you're getting back Pascal Siakam. I think I think that's why a three team trade is probably going to be necessary. And I think that's why in almost every rumor that has come out. It has always been the Suns in a three-team trade because mm-hmm. I think they want a talented player from one team, but they need to grab a good big from another. And that's why you're seeing weird teams get thrown in there like a Charlotte or a Milwaukee or a whoever, because a, a team like Toronto might not want Jay Crowder. But if you could trade Crowder to the Bucks in a three-team and get a, a reserve big back or something, you're like, okay, this 
this might make sense. Or maybe it's a two-part deal where you've got your big trade like we're talking about with Toronto. And then on the Jay Crowder trade, you say, we know we're, quote, losing this trade, but we're getting back the piece we need to make the first one make sense. You know, what I mean? something like that where they're having to think a couple steps ahead. I what I wrote down just thinking thinking about the trade deadline generally is that if the Suns are going to get appreciably better, it's going to be a massive deal. Not like sending DA is a massive deal, but it's going to be I think it's going to have to be four or five teams that are involved either in multiple trades or just a blockbuster of a deal that sends a bunch of different guys to different teams. Because I just don't see, I don't see moves that the Suns can make that other teams can't trump. That's going to take the Suns into like top of the league contender level. Yeah, I I agree for sure. Uh, it's just gonna be tough. I think that's the big thing when when people go on the trade machine and they pick two teams and they make it back and forth and like this makes sense. Like that, I mean, financially speaking, sure, but that doesn't. I don't know. It's tough. Uh, Final category here, and it kind of ties two and one. Chris Paul and the Brooklyn Nets. Another trade that I saw was this is a this is one where we got to officially move into this I this know. world uh, just because it's happening. Chris Paul and Jay Crowder for Kyrie Irving and Yuta Wat Wat Watanabe. Goodness, that was horribly pronounced. He is their best three point shooter, mm-hmm. one of the best in the league. And the thought process here, I think this one, this was from The Athletic, a big piece they released this morning. It was looking at Brooklyn Nets potential trade suitors where a trade could make both teams better because all the teams that are interested are good teams. And so the thought process was if you take the current Nets, you have Chris Paul run the offense, get the ball out of Ben Simmons' hands, essentially, and create as he kind of goes off into the sunset, you have a backup slash Ben Simmons to take over once that happens. And you add Jay Crowder to that team. The net should still be very good with Kyrie or with KD coming back. And then for the Suns, you are going to Kyrie Irving, which talent wise, you know, we'll try to keep it talent wise here. And then you're adding a very good shooter to replace Jay Crowder's uh, empty body. That deal was put in there. And this was the this was the opening line of the last paragraph, which I'm glad he included. The central issue, as always, is how the Suns feel about Irving. Yep. And then he goes on again to talk about also how he feels about re-signing Irving, because that would have to be a part of any of these trades. Whatever team trades for him is doing it with the intention of bringing him back. It is hard for me to think that the Suns would bring him in to the fold anywhere. Uh I don't know. People people are starting to be like, well, Kyrie played with James Jones and James Jones knows him better than whatever. And then on the other side of it, you're like, the son's new owner uh, was raised in a Jewish household. And you're like, sure, you can make any narrative about any front office member and how Kyrie either could love them or anti-Semitically hate them, right? Like Kyrie's Kyrie. If you want to pretend to know how he's going to react to anything, that you're fooling yourself. I think that's what we all need to be aware of at this point. My personal stance is I do not want him anywhere near my team. I assume that is also how you feel, and I know it's how Ryan feels. Yes, it's what I texted you guys the other day. 
I don't want the Suns to go from a racist, misogynist owner to an anti-Semitic star player within days of each other. I Full almost stop. I almost tweeted it from the podcast account, and I was like, I don't know. I don't know if, if Philip would want me sharing that one. But now that you've shared it out loud, I'm happy with it. You, you sent that, and I was like, that's literally exactly how I feel. Yeah. We have complained for so long about being led by this awful human, and now we're like, all right, let's go buy the jersey of this other person who I believe to be a pretty crummy and, person. And here's the deal. Kyrie's so annoying. Yep. Like even if you even if you t- which you shouldn't, but if you take away what's happened, like the actual substance of what's happened recently, it's always something with Kyrie Irving. Always. And those kinds of people are exhausting. Like at some point, just show up, do your job and stop being so dramatic with everything. I I don't understand him. Like he had a wonderful situation in Cleveland and demanded out. He had an exceptional young core playing with him. And in that series against the Bucks, he phoned it in. He tanked. He was awful in Boston, his last year there. And then the Nets finally start playing really well. They are unquestionably a contender in the league. I when everything was going right and like three days ago, I would have said this, the Nets have a significantly better chance to win the NBA title than the Phoenix Suns. And then he goes, get me out of here. Nuclear. It's always something. And with a team like the Suns that we've, we've noted. And it's one of the things we love about this team where generally speaking, the vibes are really good with dudes like Cam, and McHale, and even campaign, and the energy on the bench is always really good, and you have a great man leading the team in Monty Williams, like Kyrie Irving is the exact wrong kind of player well, to bring into the Phoenix Suns. And if you're if you're thinking like, oh, if we bring him into this culture, it's yeah. going to change him, it's like, nah. People say that about significant others all the time, and how does that work out? Like, you're not changing this. He, here's, here is my... And if this if this goes the other way, more power to everyone who who wants this to happen. But the last two players, three players actually, you could look at multiple players who have wanted out of Phoenix. How were they handled? And we'll just stick to the most recent. We don't have to go back to Eric Bledsoe days or even Seth Curry after his initial trade. How was Jay Crowder handled this year? Did they see a guy who said, "I want out of here"? And either bend to his will, give him more minutes, let him sit on the bench and whatever. How was he handled? We'll do our best. We don't want you to be a part of the team. Why would you think that an ownership group and an organization that handled that that way would want to bring someone else in who is actively looking to leave three teams in a row, each where he was in a good situation? That's, I don't know. I don't understand how you can think that Monty Williams would want to coach that or James Jones would want to deal with that. And almost every time Kyrie Irving leaves in a situation where the team that has him is in a worse spot, either they're getting shafted on a trade or the culture is crap or who knows what, why would you want that? I don't know. Final topic. uh, And then we'll, we'll wrap this up. We hit the hour mark, which is, I didn't expect to happen. There's one other 
interesting conversation that I have read now in three places and got mentioned on Zach Lowe's last episode. Chris Paul in some sort of deal for D'Angelo Russell. Now, I, I see your face. I, I see your face. Here is what was said by Zach Lowe. Chris Paul <clears throat> is the better player in that deal. Yet you're trading for a guy that does potentially have a high ceiling, wants to be a part of your team. You know you could sign him long-term, and he wants to play with Devin Booker. D'Angelo Russell also has had the best stretch of the season in the last two and a half weeks and has legitimately looked very, very, very good. If Chris Paul is on the decline, you know he's not going to be probably sticking around for the full extent of that contract. Is this the best time to part ways? If you think that you're not a contender this year anyway, and you want to have a point guard to take over who is not TJ McConnell or Tyus Jones. That was the logic that was shared from Zach Lowe. Zach Lowe is saying, I'm only doing this if I'm the Suns, if we legitimately look internally and say, we're not winning the finals this year, right? We're not. This season, it's not it. So let's move on to next season where Chris Paul is definitely not going to be better. And we do this with the thought of signing D'Angelo Russell for a contract significantly more team-friendly than the max contract, which is still laughable, that he's currently on. Because the only way you can trade Chris Paul in a lot of deals is if you're taking a lot of money back, but you're getting a player that you know you can sign for significantly less. I thought it was interesting. I don't think it's anything that people would get very excited about but the Timberwolves have a massive contract that is talent that they are not in love with because they already have a succession plan that's better right like they need to make it Anthony Edwards team and Carl Anthony Towns just needs to get his crap together and they have their own mess to deal with to be quite honest with you I don't know I think with them bringing in all the money from the most recent trade they made they would like Chris Paul's contract. They would like to have him. I don't know what the surrounding pieces of that are, but I thought it was intriguing to me. I know your face initially was a, yeah, right, no thank you. Do you think there's any any validity there to at least the concept behind it? Should there be? No. No, we're, shoot, we're shooting our shot this year with CP and, and the rest of the squad. Um, I have literally no interest in D'Angelo Russell. He is. He is the kind of player who thinks more highly of himself than he should. He fancies himself a better player and a different tier player than I think he actually is. And I do not think that would be a good fit with the Phoenix Suns. That was strong. Thank you. That was, be- that was well said. Thanks. You, you just crushed Zach Lowe's dreams. I'll have to send him an email and let him know. I don't know why that would be anybody's dreams unless you're wanting the Suns <laughs> to be appreciably worse than they are. Yeah. Well, is there any other trade related anything that you want to bring up? Because the next time we record, the trade deadline will have passed, which means next Saturday is going to be a very interesting episode. And on top of that, I will be recording from a hotel in Orlando uh, right before Brooke and I start the family vacation. 
So I'll be I'll be on that East Coast time. I'll be a whole hour ahead. I'll know so much that you just don't know in your simpleton central time zone. Anything else that needs to get brought up other than how D'Angelo Russell should definitely not be a Phoenix Sun? Um, get Jay Crowder all the way up out of here. If it's just a body, cool. Anything, anything that actually works is better than what he's brought. And if I'm just going to, I would keep it a buck with you right here on the podcast. If Kyrie Irving gets traded to the Phoenix Suns, I'm going to have a really hard time watching oh, the Suns. I, I 100%. Uh, and this is the dude who has devoted more of his life than he would like to this team. That is, I feel that strongly about Kyrie Irving to where I just, I don't, I don't, I don't want to think about it happening. I'd rather just not. Yeah. I'm a, you know, this, I'm a fairly stubborn person and I know people like make empty threats of like, if X, Y, Z happens, like I'm leaving the country or if X, Y, Z happens, I'm going to get off Twitter. We had a good run on Twitter. I'm leaving. Cause I don't like who owns it. If Kyrie Irving comes to the Phoenix Suns, I will very seriously consider hanging up the podcast mic. Full stop. I mean, we've already been fired from the company that. <laughs> so I mean, at this You're point, right. You're right. At this point, but no, I, I'm, I'm with you, man. Because, and I know people probably think that's ridiculous, but I don't want to cheer for that. And I know people, people say that about Grace now. What Kyrie Irving's done is so much worse. Like, if you even try to equate those two. You're a, a moron. And I say this because we've hit the hour mark, which means we can say what we want. <laughs> like, Grayson Allen has made dumb, childish on court decisions. Yep. Kyrie Irving has made dumb, childish off court decisions that deal with actual people's lives. I don't want any part of that. I don't know. I, I've, I've, and this is where you try not to put yours on your thoughts on others. I've been frustrated with how many sons people on Twitter are like, I would love Kyrie Irving. He's misunderstood. He just needs a new, no. You you can you give that one up after the Celtics stint. If you want to say that after his days in Cleveland, you're like maybe he thinks the Earth is flat. That's kind of weird. <laughs> we've moved well past that. Like if your if your memes of him are related to the flat Earth, go go on the internet and do some reading. I I don't want that guy on my team. I I would be shocked if the Suns wanted that guy on their team. That's my two cents. I guess this is where we figure out. If if the Suns are the type of culture and team that we think they are, or if they really, really want that ring. So oh boy, what a what a bummer way to end that one. Um next episode is gonna be interesting. <laughs> we will, at the very least, regardless of what happens at the trade deadline, we'll be back next Saturday. That's it's the just plan. a question of if we'll be we, here after that. We gotta well, we gotta figure out there's <laughs> there could be a chance that we might want to uh depending on our schedules. See if we want to record closer, like right after. Because that's the nice thing about the deadline. Free agency opens. You're like, hey, it could last a couple weeks. Deadline day is deadline day. True. We know what we're going to talk about. And uh, once again, we've been fired by the company. So uh, if we want to, if we want to have a fun little random episode, we can. Because we're we're our own boss now. Kind of. We'll see. Well, Ryan's not here. I miss Ryan. I feel like he would have had plenty of interesting things to say about Kyrie. Um. <laughs> So maybe it's for the best. Who knows? For those that are watching on YouTube, still appreciate the heck out of you. Thank you for joining. Thank you for watching and listening to us rant. Uh, Philip, anything else before we bring this baby to a close? Go, son. For Philip, I am Ethan Shutt. This is Into the Valley Phoenix Suns podcast. We out.